to New Zealand Vegan Podcast, episode 61. I have two very special guests on the show today. I'm so excited to have Timothy Putnam as a guest uh, and the wonderful Roger Yates. And they're both fabulous, and I'm so excited to have them on the show. Welcome to you both. Thanks. Great to be here. Hi, Liz. Hello, Tim. How are you? Doing well. Thank you. Hi, Roger. Great. So today um, we're gonna. I'm gonna sort of hand the um, intro over to Roger because we're gonna discuss a phenomenon that he has a huge amount of experience with, and we're gonna try to hash it out, and we're gonna bounce ideas off of Roger's sociologist's brain, and we're gonna offer our own insights and see if we can um, have a useful dialogue about this. Yes. Okay. The theme is people who will post flesh and meat pictures onto forums. Um, for example, the forum I have in mind is called the forum site, and uh, I posted on there now for about, I don't know, two, maybe even three years. And um, on the forum site, there is a politics section, and part of the politics section is an animal rights threat. And so when you um, go on there, you can post um, your own threads, your, your own themes. And quite often, when you do say something about animal rights, and particularly when you say something about veganism, you then get people posting pictures of flesh and meat um, as a response to a vegan claim. So we want to look really at this phenomenon that goes on um, on the uh, the internet, uh, if you like. And so I've got um, four initial themes to look at in a sense. One is a claimed reaction from the people who do the posting of the flesh pictures that they've been preached at or made to feel guilty by the vegans. So we need to look at that. And in particular, we need to look at it in, in the context of the fact that um, these posts are being posted on the animal rights thread, so which makes it a kind of ironic claim um, to say, that, well, look, you know, why are you, why are you talking about veganism on this thread when it's the animal rights thread? So that we need to look at that. The second thing I think, and this is more sociological, is the social status of meat. Because sociologists looked at this uh, in great detail, and I think things have changed in recent years. But in, in basic terms, there are some social class issues there, um, and maybe some generational issues, and maybe even some issues about um, so-called race. So uh, the social status of meat, the sociological context, might be uh, uh, something that we can talk about. And then the third one is the Internet in general, and um, I think there is a different reaction um, to a vegan post, depending on what kind of forum you're on. For example, the forum site, as a general matter, is something where I think generally younger people go on. They go on there for a bit of a laugh. They go on there to make a few jokes, uh, maybe do a bit, bit of flirting. But there is a, a political element to it as well. But I tend to think that what might happen is that some of the people who are kind of joking with each other, they then bring that kind of... Um, situation to the more serious uh, threads like the rights threat. So there is that. For example, in Ireland, there are two others, one which is called politics.ie. And um, because it, I mean, you can tell by the name, it's got a bit more gravitas. And so therefore, you don't tend to find people disrupting um, the conversation as much, that they're not cracking jokes as much. They're actually engaging uh, with the ideas. And there's another one in Ireland called boards.ie, which I think kind of fits in between the forum site, which is quite jokey in some senses, 
there is like a, a you know joke section to it and all that kind of thing. And then the po- politics one, Borg's one is in the middle. So I think that our conversation must take into account uh, what what we're on in 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 a sense. You know what 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 um, um, internet forum that we're dealing with at the time. And then the final thing is that some of the responses that I get on forums seem to highlight or underline a general attitude about the nature of society. And again, this is a quite a sociological thing in the sense that there are, there are some sociological themes which talk about um, society as a kind of functioning machine. And within this theory, there's this idea of social equilibrium. What that basically means is that society has a built-in mechanism by which uh, social e- equilibrium is is brought about and also then maintained. If um, society, as it were, goes out of balance, this mechanism comes back in to to, um, to bring it back into e- equilibrium. One of one of the the mechanisms, of course, is the law. And what I found over the years is that a lot of people seem to make a big connection between the law and their own or societal morality. So I think if those are the themes that we might be able to tap into. I also want to say right at the beginning, this is a fairly complex issue, I think. So I reckon we'll probably skirt on the issue, but we probably won't get to the depth of everything, but we can we can try our best, can't we? Yeah, I think you're right about that, Roger. It's, an, it's always an ongoing thing. Um, and I know that you had um, asked people's opinions as to what we thought as advocates who mostly don't go on sites like this. Um, I've when I say sites like this, you're very, very right about the nature of this particular site. It seems to not be a very serious site. And they seem to resent you're actually trying to make this a serious serious discussion. They just want to go on there and joke, don't you think? Well, I think it depends on who we talked about. Again, it's a case-by-case thing. In some senses, um, some people are there and they, they'll, they'll say things like, Oh, you know, th- thanks for posting that. You know, I've never thought about that before. Th- this is really interesting. You know, thanks for the links. Other people will say, you know, you just you just post links. You know, I haven't you got any opinions of <laughs> of your own. Uh, you know, this kind of thing, which is again, kind of, I find that incredibly ironic kind of thing to say on a forum, in the sense that a forum takes place on the internet. And one of the great things about the internet is that we can swap in information in terms of, of other internet links. And so they're kind of negating one of the most beneficial educational things about the internet in the fact that we can, um, you know, we, we, we can swap information. And in fact, uh, that, that's, that kind of taps into another debate that's going on within the movement at the moment, which is that the notion of getting onto the street versus doing your advocacy via the internet. And I think there's pros and cons on both sides of that. But, but one of the, the big pros of the internet thing is the fact that you can have extended discourse with people and you can do this swapping of information and say, Oh, that's quite interesting. You know, where did you get that from? And you say, well, this is from this book and this is the link, you know, that, that kind of thing. You, you tend not to be able to do that so much on the, on the street. So I think there's a, there's a major ad- advantage um, in that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I do take the point the, the forum site is probably for the younger type people, but there, there is this politics section of it. It's not all politics, obviously, uh, but there is this politics section, and within the politics section, there's an environmental thread. Now, going back to our theme, and one of the things that I asked about two, maybe three years ago, I was saying to them, well, look, you know, if people are opposed to feminism, do they go onto the feminist thread and then maybe show pictures of women being beaten up 
or do they go onto the environmental thread and say things like, you know, ha ha, you know, you, you know, I'm going to go off to IKEA and I'm I'm now going to buy something made from unsustainable forestry or something. You know, it seems seems to me that something in in the social consciousness about flesh eating and and um, and veganism, which gives them license to do what they've done, and I think some part of that is to do with the the numbers game. They they tend they tend to feel that they're in a vast majority, which they are, and they're talking to a minority, which again they are. And I, I actually experienced a classic case of that. Uh, only yesterday on Facebook, because um, as you may have known, um, Pete Bethune from Sea Shepherd appeared on Animal Rights Zone uh, recently, and uh, he said he was moving towards veganism because there was a controversy about him being released from a Japanese prison. And uh, on the way back, he ordered an eye fillet, a steak, on on some com- comment. And so that was brought up in the AR Zone debate and the chat. And he said that he was he was moving towards veganism. So uh, yesterday I asked him on his wall, his Facebook wall, you know, how, how's it going in terms of, of um, you know, move towards <laughs> veganism type of thing. And the first, resp- the first response I got was from a Sea Shepherd supporter. And she wrote back and she said, vegan zero, carnivore 100. And I said, well, what does that mean? You know, I, and I, I, made, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I made, I made a joke. I said, you know, it, it can't, can't be IQ, otherwise it'd be the other way around. But, um, <laughs> so, so what does it mean? And she wrote back and she said, I'm talking percentages. So I think there is a numbers game because I did, I did comment. Well, you know, obviously, you, you, it's not, it's not 100 carnivores, 100% carnivores. Otherwise, there'd been, there'd be no vegans whatsoever. But you know, she was saying, you know, we're in the vast majority here. And I think sociologically and psychologically, if you've got a situation where someone's in a group which they know is the vast majority, in terms of power relations, it gives them license. And I think that says a lot about these flesh pictures on the forum site. I think you're absolutely right. And I I mean, I know that, Tim, you had said... Um I had said that it's because there's always this move towards what people are eating and I want to get away from that. Um, I think that they miss the moral issue and, and you had said, no, you really think they, and Roger, you too, you say they, part of it is they, they do feel bad in a way and they are reacting to their own kind of, even though they're in the majority, they, they feel like we are somehow saying we're better than them because secretly they, they are feeling a little bit bad or I don't know. Yeah, and it's hard to tell with some people whether they actually feel bad when you bring these things up or whether they're so disconnected from it already that they can avoid feeling bad and they can just push you away or make fun of whatever you're, you know, denigrate whatever your activism you're doing or whatever post you made in order to continue to not feel about, you know, the fact that they're consuming animals, that they're engaged in animal consumption. So, yeah, that was one of the points that I was making is just that they can they can further push you away and push your posts away in order, I mean, because they do realize, I mean, even if it's not a very thorough realization, there is a realization, yes, that of course animal products come from animals and of course they're not obtained in wholesome ways. So, yeah, there's this general awareness, even if it's a really weak awareness, that they're doing something that's wrong, like it doesn't sit well. Uh, when they think about it. So it's best just not to think about it. That's the way, just avoid even thinking about it. And you're bringing things up, even if, 
I mean, when Roger goes, and kudos to you, Roger, because I've mm-hmm. seen those sites before, and they're very nasty places sometimes. <laughs> but um, but you do great work on them, and and when you post things like that, and people, you know, people can, you know, kind of troll your threads because if they don't, if if you're left unaddressed, if no one responds to you and and kind of slam dunks you, then it's like an unresolved issue that they have to deal with. So even if they just glance across it, even if it just shows up on their new thread, then there's a problem for them. So they have to tell you that you're wrong. They have to make you look stupid. And in that way, they can kind of raise the social position of the pro-exploitation paradigm so that everyone else is like, yes, yes, you know, we're still doing the right thing. Everyone else still supports us. And if you go on, I mean, I was, you know, looking at the thread before we were talking and People are very much, you know, one of them will post pictures of me. One of them will uh, respond, you know, with all these smiley faces about how, how much they're, you know, hungry for meat right now. I mean, it's, you know, it's this whole, like, let's all kind of come together in opposition to Roger Yates, you know, or in opposition to the vegan advocate. Yeah, I think you're right. But I just, I just want to say that and this is the thing that I'm trying to do, and I'm, I'm trying to explore this thing even more, is what really bothers me. It really bothers me that Roger will post something on an animal rights thread about veganism, and he'll get things like, I'm not a huge meat eater, but I can't live without my bacon or my dairy. Well, Roger didn't post a thing about eating meat and dairy. He posted a thing about veganism, and it just bothers me so much. We've got to get this. We've got to get this away from from that alone. It's it's limited to talking about flesh. That's not what veganism is. And well, I mean, we're trying to sort of create the uh, definition of veganism that's accepted. But it really that's what bothers me about this entire phenomenon. That when we talk about veganism, people start talking about their you know their taste buds and that's when I say to him like I'm like they're not talking about the real issue the real issue is not your taste buds the real issue is that using sentient beings as a mean to an end is wrong well I mean in one respect we're kind of up you know as advocates we're we're up against both speciesism and really awful terrible vegan activism in the past like we're up (laughs) against we're up against the caricature of what veganism means of what animal rights means so yeah, you have you have to overcome not only what they've got going on in their own minds, but what they've been fed about what veganism means. I mean, all the different you know, like representations of vegetarians and vegans and stuff in cartoons and TV shows and media and posters and I mean, it's just there's too much to overcome. And so you you kind of do have to start a new conversation with every person and be like, you know, that's interesting. I didn't even bring up bacon. Uh, you know, that. Oh, yeah. you think of because I do want you to be aware that veganism also means X, Y, and Z. It's not just a diet. Exactly, because I'm looking at one page. I'm looking at page four of the one that Roger sent us, and every single post, starting from the top, we're not meant to be vegan. We have teeth to rip and chew meat. Um, if you want to eat a boring diet, then be fair enough. But nothing short of a million every year will make me go vegan. I'm not a huge meat eater, but I can't live without my bacon. I wouldn't go vegan because I want to eat what I want to eat. I'm eating a ham sandwich right now. No, you're right, thanks. I like meat. I mean, every single post is about meat. I hate that word. But um, anyway, Roger, you were going to say something about some of the other stuff that Tim had said. I don't want to go off too much on that tangent, but it's just it just it's just this thing that no, I no. I th- I think I think that you 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 know you both put your your fingers your collective fingers on something very important in the sense that there is an issue in terms of what's transmitted from the movement 
and in terms of what's decoded by the public. And as ever with a lot of social movement things, you know, people can tend to pick up on the kind of stereotypes and they'll pick up on positively or, or, or negatively. But certainly, um, you know, that, that is an, an issue in the sense that we've had uh, years and years of vegan advocacy, which effectively said, well, yeah, veganism is a dietary issue uh, when it's a philosophy. Um, and so, um, you know, we're, we're back to that situation that the, the rights-based movement with veganism as its baseline is very, very new. It's just been born, we, we, you know, which is an odd thing to say, but, but it's, it's also true. Going back to what um, Tim started with, very interesting thing about why people are on those types of sites in the first place. Because I talked to my partner about this, and um, she makes the point that, you know, the majority of meat eaters, they're never there because they presumably are comfortable with their flesh consumption. And so they don't feel the need to be there at all. And they probably don't even feel the need to ever click on the politics um, section and the animal rights thread within it. I mean, the forum site is quite big. The, the, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how many different threads there are, but there, there are you know, several dozen. Uh, so, you, you know, you can spend an entire lifetime on there without ever going to the animal rights thread. And so that creates a question about why these people do feel the need to defend themselves. And so on some level, they're obviously questioning themselves on some level at all. And at the same time, they're very defensive. And of course, um, you know, my partner said, well, you know, sometimes people don't feel as though they need to defend themselves. And then other people do need to defend themselves or feel that they need to defend themselves. And so they're the ones who go on those types of sites. And then ironically, you get people who feel the need to defend themselves, but obviously can't defend themselves in words. And so the only thing they can think of doing is, is posting a picture of, of meat. So there's something, you know, there's a very kind of complex sense of psychology going on um, within all that, I think. I take a more cynical view, unfortunately, for me, because um, I'd like to think that I'm Ooh, not so news. jaded before my time. <laughs> I think, and I, I mean, I agree with what your partner said um, to a, in a lot of respects, but I also think that because animal rights has been limited to not clubbing baby seals or not um, killing whales, these people go on this thread and they want to talk about how it's you know how those monsters are clubbing seals and how dare they and those you know those terrible you know they're very xenophobic or the Japanese are killing the whales and stuff and then you go on there and you mess up with their flow. And you actually talk about something that they're doing. And they don't like that because that doesn't usually happen on animal rights threads. Animal rights threads are usually single issues. And they're usually issues that most people don't do. Most people don't club seals. But everybody consumes flesh. So I also feel like that you're, you're, you're putting the spanner in their works. You're ruining their animal rights thread. You know, and, yeah, um, well, well, obviously, we've got another uh, movement element to that as well in the sense that um, I've, I've been told time and time again, year after year after year, that, you know, well, I'm really an animal rights person, but I talk about welfare because that's what people understand. And I focus on the things that they understand, like hunting and circuses and this kind of stuff. And so you are right that, you know, people, in other words, the people within the movement would connive with that single issueism with it within the thread, whereas from an abolitionist point of view, we would widen it out all the time. 
and and yeah, I think I think you're right. The, the spanner in the works is the spanner that, that affects the animal rights movement, so-called, and also these these kind of of forums because these kind of forums generally have been within the single issue campaigns or the welfare corporations. And so once you get an abolitionist in there, there is really a spanner in the works. Isn't that ironic that the things that people most need to be educated about, the things that are not, that, I mean, the things that are so socially accepted that we don't even see them are the things that welfareists avoid and then don't educate on. And so everyone remains uneducated about speciesism. So they do these single issue campaigns about things that people largely agree with already, but then, you know, there's no education further. So it just kind of defeats the purpose of educating, doesn't it? But I mean, that kind of brings me to the point that I was making on your Facebook page when I, when, when I was commenting is just that so many people are engaged, you know, they're one, they're engaged in the behavior. And so that's threatening personally, but two, they have so much social support for doing it that they can't be wrong, right? Like everyone can't be wrong simultaneously, the thought goes, you know? And so, and so it's so much easier for them to just refute what you're saying. And, and that's the disturbing feature about these forums is that they can have, you know, 15, 20, 40 people join in and agree with the posting of the meat pictures. Uh, and then there'll be very few people who come in to back you up. And so then they've got that social, uh, you know, social reinforcement that, yeah, we're right. We, you know, we're on the winning side. And that's the disturbing part is that it's so easy for people to fall into that, that social trap of what everybody else thinks and does is what must be right. You know, it must be uh, the morally right thing to do or else we wouldn't all be doing it. Good point. And, and not only that, they go on threads and welfareists encourage that. And say, well, you know, you don't, you just have to cut down, you know, or you just you can you can eat free range, and so even the animal rights supposedly is not challenging them and hasn't been challenging them. So they even feel like we're we're anim, we're abnormals, we're anomalies in the animal rights movement. These people are like, what's wrong with you people? You're not like any other animal people I've ever spoken to before. They told me that I could just cut down. Yeah, sorry, you cut out a little bit there. Say that last bit again. I'm just saying that when when they meet us, they say. Um, not only Tim is what Tim is talking about about the majority of the of um, society backing them up and everybody is they're they're the normal ones and we're the abnormal ones and they're the major, majority but also animal people that they've the supposed animal rights people that they've encountered um, have been telling them that they can just cut down so we're anomalies to them as animal rights people they're like you're not like any other animal rights people I've ever spoken to before you know you you're you you must be wrong all the other animal rights people I've spoken to said yeah I can just cut down and patted me on the back for that what's wrong with you you know yes well it's um well this is abolitionists folks you know uh, we're abolitionists hello (laughs) 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 what we're going to say you know we're going to contextualize that's that's what abolitionism is all about we contextualize uh, a single issue within the entire um, regime of animal use, and so that's what we do all the time in, o- in order to, you know, to show the, w- the wider picture and to, to look at speciesism, to look at use as a general matter, and, that, and that's what the, the evolution approach uh, does, and that's, that's its strength in actual fact. Um, a couple of issues that uh, I thought um, I would put back to you two, uh, which I thought was interesting, is that um, as far as I know, there's never been any flesh eater who have posted pictures of slaughterhouses on these threads. 
And um, it's quite interesting because, I mean, we're assuming, right, that what they're trying to do is some kind of revenge or some kind of point they're trying to make. They're trying to make some anti-vegan point or anything. But they never, they never show a picture of a slaughterhouse. And I think there's a, a kind of interesting psychology there in the sense that that would upset them because it's the vegans that would often show the pictures of the slaughterhouses. What they do is they just jump from that point they they jump straight over that point and go straight to the meat. Isn't that interesting? Very. You know, when when you mentioned that, it made me think. You know, they could also be posting other things, such as uh, general cruelty to animals. Like that would probably be a good way to attack you or to upset you, right? But um, but they don't show yeah. pictures of them kicking puppies or or throwing cats off of bridges, um, because then there's some sort of uh, you know psychopathic quality to it, right? Then then they've gone into the part where they're not socially acceptable anymore. And I think similarly, if they were to show pictures of slaughterhouses and to think, I mean, that would kind of represent themselves as thinking, you know, this is a ha ha ha. It's like a slaughterhouse. Look at those animals dying. And that's just not, that's not cool either. So they wouldn't do that. So, I mean, as long as they can attack you, make you look stupid, uh, garner social support from the others in the forum, which they wouldn't be able to do with pictures of slaughterhouses, then, yeah, then they've got a solid winning, uh, you know, response to you in their minds. And, and so meet, uh, you know, pictures of animal products or, or you know, fur stoles or whatever, um, those are excellent ways for them to jump in without themselves revealing some of their, you know, their <laughs> really <laughs> disturbed, <laughs> you know, takes on life. So I don't know. It's, it's an interesting phenomenon there that you and that you've raised. Uh, well, what it, what it seems what it seems to say to me is that they haven't thought it through, and so they're not exactly. really addressing. They've not really addressed addressed the, the the original point. And and then sometimes some of the more considered posts actually say, "Well, wait a minute, people." You know, because on the forum site, uh, people say in kind of screaming capitals, "You know, you're trying to take my meat away from me," kind of thing. Um, and you're trying to force me to do this and force me to do that and make me guilty. And, and uh, I always respond by saying, you know, I'm, I'm in a different part of the world from you. <laughs> I'm talking to you on the Internet. I can't force you to do anything. I can't even force you to read this. You can just delete it. You know, you, 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 nev- you never have to click on animal rights. Uh, you know, on the forum site, and yet people do over and over, and then they complain about me being there talking about animal <laughs> rights on the animal rights thread, and I, I, I always found that incredibly fascinating. That <laughs> I get, I get complaint after complaint by people saying, you know, why are you talking about animal rights on the animal rights thread? And and I say things like, I'm talking about animal rights because this is the animal rights thread, and, and I, I kind of start to wonder. You know, do people do that on on other threads? Did they go to a Marxist site and go, you know, what the hell are you talking about Karl Marx all the time? Do they really do that, you know? And also, another question is, does this phenomena happen elsewhere? I mean, does it happen on feminist sites, do you think? You know, from people who are opposed to feminism, do they... Do they post pictures of beaten up women or something, or rape scenes or something? Or what about environmental sites? Do you think it happens everywhere else, or is it just on the animal rights stroke vegan sites? What do you think? I said no, but Tim, you, you 
thought it might, right? Well, no, not really. Um, I had the post that I had given on on Roger's Facebook wall was that uh, no, they don't really. Um, Barbara DeGrand kind of jumped in and said, well, in a way they do. And so I, let me clarify. So yeah, I have seen similar things, um, but they're of a different nature. So. I've seen on environmental threats, people will say something like, I'm going to go burn a bunch of tires, or, um, you know, I, I've seen rape jokes on feminist threads. But what I don't see, you know, like I don't see a picture of a, like somebody posting a photo of a vulva or like a raped person or something on the feminist thread. And I don't see people um, posting pictures of themselves dumping oil into a river on an environmental thread. So there's a, you know, it's kind of like the same thing. We, we don't, we don't see, um, the sorts of like um, overt uh, the action itself. Like we'll see, we'll see the things that people are comfortable making because other people will interpret them right. as jokes, and they're right. they're interpreted as jokes. And so they, you know, it's like Family Guy. Family Guy has all kinds of really, uh, you know, distasteful humor, in it and people laugh, right? So you can get away with a lot, but that's very that's substantively different than actually, uh, you know, saying like, look, I engage in this behavior, such as eating those pictures of steaks that they posted on the forum site. I engage in this behavior, and here's a picture of it, and I'm doing it just to flaunt the fact that I do it. Uh, we don't see those really on environmental or feminist threads because they wouldn't have social backing to it. People would say, look, the fact that you do that is wrong, and, and you're, you're doing something that nobody approves of except really messed up people. And so they they can't get away with that on those threads, and sadly everyone. Yeah, I agree. I agree, I agree strongly. I agree strongly with that. And um, obviously we're back now to that issue of what's legal and what's not, and how that fits into some people's uh, issues of morality. Again, what what I've been told uh, for many many years um, on uh, forums. I used to be on a forum called Animal Rights Debate which was very kind of North American orientated. People from the National Animal Interest Alliance were on there. Dog breeders were on there and this, this kind of stuff. And um, they would often equate uh, what was currently legal with what was currently uh, moral. And therefore, what was currently illegal with um, what, what was you know, immoral. And um, they also had this, this idea that really, um, you know, no, no one should try and take any any um, effort or make any effort to change the law uh, on this kind of a, a, assumption on, on some level that everything had already been sorted out and the powers of be or the legislators or, or whoever they had in mind had already sorted society out and separated out the legitimate from the illegitimate. And so therefore, there's nothing really for the citizen to do which is, you know, I always found that an incredibly kind of disempowering kind of idea that the, the, the citizen, in some sense, shouldn't really scrutinize, you know, what the legislature was doing. It, it was the, the, the notion of, well, we just abide by, you know, what's been handed down to us, a kind of Martin Ballot type, type model of things. And I, I always found that kind of um, really kind of interesting on, on the fact that people embrace their disempowerment. You know, it's a very kind of elitist model uh, in, in, in some sense. And, it, you know, it, feed, it feeds into the sociological theory, which is called functionalism, again, which is that notion of, of equilibrium in society. And that really feeds into um, a strong theme on socialization. I, I as a sociologist, have taken um, a great interest in, soci in socialization as a process. I covered it a lot. And within the functionalist theory, socialization is seen as a molder of a child's personality. 
and, and the mother plays an important role there, a very significant role. Uh, and that feeds into family values, and that they are taken up by the child. And if the family values are not deviant, then the idea is that the education system, the schools and the colleges subsequent to the family will reinforce what a child will learn in primary socialization in the family. Um, the interesting thing there is that if the family is deviant, then the, the education system within this view would correct the problem of the family. And that also feeds into, I think, some people's psychology here. Because um, how many times have we heard the thing that, you know, you shouldn't impose veganism on your children? The, you know, the flesh eaters who impose flesh eating on their children say that to, to the vegans. Because veganism is deviant in this society. And that really, on a sociological level, is true. And I think that's why Bob and Jenna called their thing vegan freaks, because yeah. we are the freaks in society. And I think we do need to recognize that. And I think that bolsters uh, the, the, those people on the forum site, for example, it bolsters their confidence. They can kind of say, say whatever they want about us. We're mad, we're weird, you know, we're, we're psychos, we're dangerous. I've, I've been called dangerous so many times, um, you know. And, uh, you know, we'd be, because, you know, from a sociological point of view or a criminological point of view, we are deviant because we're right. not following the general norms and values of society. And that's one thing for us, I think, to take on board is the fact that, that is actually true. You make a really good point there about the law and especially socializing forces. And when you had first mentioned, you know, people, because I've heard it too, the very same thing. People say, well, you know, if it was really wrong, it would be illegal or um, you know, they kind of use law as a justification for what they're doing. And, you know, it, taking, I'm going to be risky here, and I'm going to take a sociological view as well, that, you know, and you've mentioned Peter Berger on your on your podcast, which is a great podcast, everyone should listen to it, um, that, you know, he mentions that, you know, we have these nomizing forces. Nomizing uh, comes from the root word nomos, which is a Greek word that means law and order, basically. And so he talks about these different forces that, that shape us, um, you know, that give us a sense of, of what's right, of what's stable, of what is, uh, makes sense, you know. Um, and and we, we get these different, uh, you know, people like schools and, and parents and family and friends and all the neighbors and religious people and all these different people kind of help shape us as we're socializing into our culture. And when... You know, when something is illegal or when something's legal, then people engage or don't engage in those behaviors. That, too, becomes part of our socializing process. And, and so it's natural for us to think that what's legal is what's right and what's illegal is what's wrong. Because if we act outside of those legal frameworks, there are consequences, and they're not usually good consequences. And so if we have, um, you know, for instance, uh, a law that the police will come arrest you if you do something, then, um, you know, it's very likely that you're going to, and everyone else is going to tell you, uh, that you're going to have this opinion that that is wrong or this is right. And so as we're being socialized into this framework, law and morality become inextricably intertwined in our minds. And it's very difficult for a lot of people to break free of that. And so the more socially uh, or the more legally accepted a behavior is, the more socially accepted it tends to be. Because if you act outside of it, you get reprimanded or, or 
you know, chastised or thrown in jail or whatever. So it becomes a very powerful force. And uh, sadly, you know, I'm here in America where there's a lot of um, apathy in general about all kinds of things. And people do come up with this response that, you know, well, you know, if it's not legal, then, uh, you know, it must be wrong. If it is legal, then there's probably no reason to change it. And even if there was a reason to change it, I'm not really motivated to do it. Like, I don't really care. And so there's a lot of that in the people. I mean, I've, I've done environmental activism. I've done gay rights activism. And just I see the same thing uh, with the majority of people that I interact with. You know, it's, it's very, uh, very socially ingrained that the law is the way to, if you wanted to change it, you probably couldn't. But there's probably no reason to change it because it's probably right. So it's very, it's kind of like this weird cycle that just keeps going and reinforcing it. And very difficult to overcome for a lot of people in their personal lives and in their, their general social consciousness. But we're not asking people. To, they can do it. It's not illegal to be vegan. Right, but they see, they see the law as being so intertwined with morality that because it is legal to slaughter cows, because it is legal to have that piece of steak that they posted on the forum site, then it must be right. And because it must be right, then there's no reason to change it. They can't even get to the, they can't even get to the point where they think we should change the law. And yeah, but also, also, of course, you know, one, one thing, one element that's missing from that as well, which needs to be introduced, is the the very ugly face of animal welfareism. And in fact, Peter Singer True. made this made this point in, in um, Animal Liberation, where you know part of this recipe in people's kind of psychology is the fact that well, this is this is legal, and also apart from it being legal, there are these animal welfare societies whose job it is to make sure that the animals are treated well. And so, you know, in, in other words, you know, um, people would, um, if, if people then think, well, okay, you know, I've, I've seen something on the TV and I didn't like that, but that's, they, then they can, can create a, a disconnect between what they consume and what they've seen on the TV because the Animal Welfare Society would have, would have sorted that out because that's what their job is. And so the, in terms of the general uh, use of animals, that's all humane, there's no unnecessary suffering. All these kind of cornerstone concepts of animal welfare is fed into this kind of recipe um, of people's understanding of, of what's going on. So not only is meat-eating normal, it's also legal. And because there's animal welfare groups, it must be humane. And every now and again, you get one bad apple, but that's sorted out by, by, by the welfare groups that, because that's their function. You know? And so... When you've got that as part of, of the recipe of, of your psychology, you know, you're in a fairly comfortable place because you, what you're doing is legal, it's socially sanctioned, and also it's, it's regulated and monitored by the animal, the animal people, the animal welfareists. People who promote welfare don't understand you will never, ever change anything promoting welfare. Well, you're talking about the new welfareists there. If you're talking about, about the traditional welfareists, you know, they're, they're, they're fairly, you know, fairly cool about, you know, most use. And there are some people who call themselves welfarists who will defend just about every use on the same, on the same kind of grounds that um, Tim just talked about. They will say, you know, the people from, you know, the National Animal Interest Alliance, for example, they, they will assume that you know, every use that is legal is okay. And, you know, the things that are illegal, like bestiality or whatever, that's not okay, you know. And so... They they get into this kind of you know legal equals moral situation as well, 
and of course moral rights is is a big challenge to all that uh, you know and and yet you know the um, the animal rights movement so called is often bound up in in legal rights and trying to change the law and all this kind of stuff but it's really the entire thing is looking at consciousness and get people to think critically in a general matter but also think critically about you know human non human relations which is so rare for people even as we know within the so called animal rights movement you know so you've really kind of drawn out this problem into a problem that is, is very clear like we're talking about it and it seems very clear to us so i i'm kind of interested in what you think of as solutions for dealing with people and talking about these issues um you know like like one thing that i've tried when talking with people is to have them imagine uh what the world was like or what our country was like or that sort of thing 200 years ago you know when for instance there was legal human slavery um and you know how how do they feel about that issue and how does the law and morality kind of mix and how does it not mix and those kinds of things and then to think you know given how much things have changed in the last 200 years you know look forward 200 years like what are the what's the the scenario there that you like that would be hard difficult to imagine right now just as it would have been difficult to imagine 200 years ago that we would be here today and that seems to help people kind of to think about what's possible and when they don't really think about that generally i was wondering if you guys had any sort of you know tactics that you take with people when they have those those well issues. you know i i i have a couple of comments on on that i i think there's a, a couple of things going on first of all i think maybe most most people tend to think that this is the this is the the arena the area of interest of politicians and i think a, a lot of people are quite are quite happy to to hand over these major societal decisions to to those on on the grounds that well they vote they voted them in and that's their job and you know i can get back to the xbox so there is there is that kind of issue going on and then that's aligned to the fact that the the very same kind of people who've got a kind of a bit of a kind of conservative kind of viewpoint if you like they they also are very critical of social movements or protesters you know and they kind of tend to think of protesters as social uh, uh, as uh, misfits or as uh, troublemakers or sometimes as do good as you know these kind of negative negative terms you know um i think i've said said before i've always been fascinated by by the idea that people are critical of people who want to do good but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah you know that that's in the so again i th- i think you know in a psychological sense it, it it's kind of like the uh decompartmentalization of things in the sense that well you know that's not really my area you know i'm just a citizen you know i i kind of i kind of give that area over to the politicians who i who i elect and just let 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 them get on with it and then i abide by what 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 comes through and the ones that don't the protesters you know they're the ones that are a problem you know it's really interesting if you look at the the socio the sociology of protest you know um there's only certain areas of time uh, the 1960s which we all can remember in which the notion of protesting was seen as a good thing generally speaking people have been very negative about protesters and that explains why you know if you go on a demonstration or 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 anything people drive past and they'll shout things like you know get a life you know or get a job and stuff you know they they've got incredibly negative views of what a, a protester is as though there there are a group of people in society who are just kind of born protesters and that means that if they're not protesting about this they'll be protesting about that and so they tend to instead of instead of them thinking it 
in in a kind of um, Habermasian way, which is very positive. The idea that social movements and protesters or campaigners are there within civil society as activists who kind of you know keep a tab on things, ask critical questions. You know, you, you know they're, they're they're trying to say, well, you know, should we be doing this? You know, what, what's going on there? Let, let's have a conversation. Um, many Orthodox people have got a very negative view of, of protesters, which is another kind of problem for us in a sense, because you know, vegans are protesters against meat, and so that we we fall in we fall into that view as well. Um, you know, in the sense that, well, you know, somebody's rocking the boat, which doesn't need to be rocked in the first place, because they're they're complaining about something which is already legal, which is already socially sanctioned. So what's the problem? You know, from 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 the past at all, not one single bit. So any feminist, any female who's now able to vote and who protests the existence of of protest and and social movements is completely ignorant of the fact that without it she would not be able to vote. So they're not looking at history, for one. Well, yeah, but it seems to me that you know the modern-day feminists are too busy taking their clothes off um, to uh, you know to to read up about feminist history. In fact, I mean, my my my, my sister was um, in the 1970s. She was one of one of those kind of radical separatist feminists. You know, she she was active in Yorkshire, and um, they they organised a situation where they had like women-only spaces. And they even had a. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the the concept of the yellow pages. Yeah, yes. you probably are, I think. But um, they had a women-only yellow pages. So if you needed a plumber, you could get a, w- a woman plumber. If you need electrician, you can get a, 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 a woman one. And um, you know, as um, as some people listening to the podcast know, I I got into trouble with with, with the law, a law the law at one point, and the police came banging on my sister's door, and she wouldn't let them in on the basis that they were men. Um, you know, <laughs> but you know, um, I mean, you know, I mean, Gary, Gary, Gary Francione has had this problem talking to the so-called postmodern or difference feminists. You know, there's a there's an entire kind of post Spice Girls kind of version of of feminism, which is no nowhere near the kind of 1970s type stuff. Uh, it seems almost like a caricature of, of it, and um, it's kind of like, well, you know, how do we be, be a, a feminist nowadays is well, you take part in the Miss Wet T-shirt competition. It just baffles me, to, to be honest. Okay, well, let's not say feminism. Let's say civil rights, or, or which you know, as we know, everything has a long way to go. Um, I'm not saying it's done yet, but without um, that, I mean, I think you're right about protests, but I think it's it's a little misguided. I mean, they're not looking at history. <laughs> um, I think you're making some great points. They're just not looking to the past, and that's what my that would be my response to why they're so worried about the about the actual protesting um, thing. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, if, if people think that protesting's wrong, they need to look at their, uh, you know, if they're gay or if they're, you know, if they're gay and they're not and they're against people who protest animal use um, because they think they're just troublemakers. Um, then I could say to them, well, do you think that the people who, you know, the, the first people who spoke out for gay rights were troublemakers? Well, no, you don't, because that, that suits you, doesn't it? You know, but I think the cool thing about the abolitionist approach yeah, to animal right. rights is that we can have, we can say, okay, look, if you don't feel comfortable with activism, that's fine. Um, you know, just, you know, have the conversation with them about animal rights and about, you know, what, 
you know, what their, I, I guess, you know, like sometimes you can kind of pick apart uh, what their own beliefs are, let them do the talking. And then if they come out with, uh, you know, some of the species of things or, or maybe even some of the things that they're not comfortable with about the behaviors they engage in, you know, those sorts of like dissonant uh, views that they have. And you tease those apart and have conversations about that. And before you know it, you're having a conversation about animal rights, even though they were rejecting you as an activist. And, you know, if they're, yeah. if they're open to it, and that's, that's one thing. But, you know, and so then you can kind of go, like, I, I'm very, like, I believe very firmly that if someone comes around to the animal rights approach and, like, you know, let's say they just go vegan and that, that's all they're going to do, like abolition applied to their own lives, and they don't plan on doing any advocacy, any activism, because they think they're rabble-rousers and whatever. Um, I don't think you can be an abolitionist very long <laughs> before you start to become an activist. So, you know, you know I, think it's, I think it would be difficult to put that off and to somehow stay detached and, and out of it. So, I mean, as long as we can get the conversation initiated, uh, even if it's just getting them talking about their thoughts and their feelings and their beliefs and then finding those points that are that are weak and that are ripe for us to go in and start investigating with them, collaboratively with them, then I think that opens them up to having a, a little bit more, um, you know, dialogue, you know, with, with an activist without having to feel like they're being activisted upon. I agree. And I think, you know, don't indulge this focus on flesh. Let's not indulge this, this focus on flesh. Um, um, don't let them focus on that. Can continue to bring them back as best you can. Don't don't go down that tangent. When somebody says it's unhealthy, one of the best things that I learned from Angel Flynn on the Care Two forum was this woman was going on and on and on about how unhealthy it was to be vegan and how her doctor said she can't be vegan and la 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 la. And Angel finally said to her, "Look, are you saying this because you want to be vegan? You want to stop using animals? And besides, veganism is not just diet anyway. So it's like you can do some, you know, you can." begin other places and start investigating the diet. You can decide to go vegan and learn about how to eat healthily. But anyway, she said to the woman, um, are you saying this because you, you seriously want to um, change your diet but you're worried about health concerns? Are you just um, are you just not interested in going vegan because you don't want to? Because if the second, if the latter is the case, then pointing to health concerns is misleading and, and um, untruthful. And she got the woman, right, the woman couldn't continue to do that. So I say to people when they go on about food, Right when they go on about health and they say meat meat meat, I say, well, um, do you do you want to go vegan, but you're scared to um, to stop eating animals because you're seriously worried about about diet? Because if that's the case, we can talk about that when you decide to implement that. But there's no point in having that conversation right now because you still think it's okay to use animals. So let's just keep talking about that. Let's keep talking about the basic concept that we're using. Um, you know that we're doing because you know. A lot of times people really do still think they need to eat animals. They need to eat animals to get protein and stuff like that. So I say to them, let's talk about that. You know, um, If that's your serious concern, if that's the thing that's stopping you, then we can talk about that and I can help you. And there's doctors and there's things and I can give you advice. I know people who can give you advice. And that makes them sort of back off because they're all of a sudden they're in territory they don't want to be in. They're like, oh, well, actually. So I always try to sort of, I don't indulge them on this flesh fantasy or whatever it is flesh fest that they that they have going on when i'm talking to people. well you know it's i mean the thing is there elizabeth it's not um it's not a fest for them like you say it, they feel it's a, a necessity don't they mm. 
they they claim they claim you know you made the, you made the point earlier about well you know what what about our canine teeth uh, you know what what about our flesh yeah what about our flesh ripping teeth you know and um, I think a few activists have started to say well you know okay you you, you know you you jump you jump on to, on top of the back you know back of a cow and take a bite and of course you know we we can't mm. in that sense and I think there's also a problem. With a, and it comes up time and time again on the forum site and other fora where people say, but, you know, we are natural omnivores. Right. And, I th- you know, I, I'm getting to the, the, to the opinion that the, the, the word omnivore is, is essentially ideological in nature in the sense that I think what people, what people think when they hear the word omnivore is a meat eater and a, a vegetable eater. And they kind of assume that that they must be eaten in equal parts, or even it's okay to have a, a kind of meat or a flesh-heavy version of uh, being an omnivore, you know. And I think that ta- taps into the kind of stuff that um, Jim Mason um, looked at in uh, an unnatural order, uh, where he looks at um, very critically at the notion of uh, hunter-gatherers. And I've always been very interested in that. The notion of hunter-gatherers, which is another term which I regard as an ideological term, because if we look at the early, um, you know, human societies, if we look at that um, in a kind of um, quantitative um, uh, sense, then really we should be talking about gatherer-hunters, but we never use that term. There is a, there is a few writers, funny enough, who have used the term gatherer-hunters, but most people talk about hunter-gatherers because we want to think of ourselves like that. We want to think of ourselves as hunters rather than just scrabbling around gathering. And the modern, the modern phrase is foragers, you know. And the meat, the meat part of foraging might actually be comparable to the notion of scavenging. Now, who wants to see themselves as a scavenger when you can see yourself as a hunter? So these, these things become incredibly ideological uh, in the end, and I think that most people kind of um, tap into that in the same way as time and time again they talk about um, with the we're at the top of the food chain, which is another phrase that I've always found kind of fascinating. Fascinating because I tend to think of a chain as being a, a circle or or some some kind of uh, thing that kind of comes around and around and around. And so sometimes you know what was once at the top of a circle. Find find themselves at, at the bottom of, of the circle, you know. Mm-hmm. And I raised that um, sometimes, and they said, "No, no, no. What what you're supposed to do? What you how are you supposed to visualize the food chain? Is a chain hanging from the ceiling, <laughs> right? And we're 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 at the top of that. You, you know, you know, human beings are incredibly um, good at kind of deceiving themselves and kind of you know talking themselves into just about anything y- y- you can imagine. And so they talk about a food chain. And then when you start to be critical about the notion of a chain, they then break the chain and make it into just a rope. <laughs> you know, they break it. It's just, it's, just like, it's just like a rope hanging down from the ceiling now. You know, and, and we've scrabbled, you know, we've scrabbled to the top of this rope. You know, we've kicked the shit out of everybody below us. <laughs> And we're we're clinging for dear life to the to the top, you know. 
we, we, we have a fa- we have our faces squashed against the ceiling. We're not going <laughs> to we're not going to give way, you know. But and and they they started off talking about a food a food chain, and and that's what, you know, suddenly you know they're firefighters on, on top of some rope. Yeah, it, you yeah. Know, you know, people are are amazing in the sense that they can kind of rational rationalize themselves into kind of anything. And uh, one aspect, I suppose, that we haven't talked about is denial. I think, obviously, there is a big element of, uh, of denial in, in terms of what's going on in this entire conversation. Uh, my final point I wanted to make sociologically is the fact that um, from if you, if, you, if you try and look at this from the point of view of the people who post the flesh pictures, is that meat is a status symbol. And sociologists have looked at that over many years uh, vegetarianism and now veganism has always been associated with the middle class and of course we, we do have people within the movement who are, who are complaining about the fact that the, the movement traditionally has been white, bourgeois, middle class which is true, uh, you know if you, if you look at the demographics of, of the animal protection movement it, it is very white, it is very middle class um, you know and so, so that is kind of true in, in a sense what sociologists have found is that the working class, as a as a general group, and of course there's going to be, there's going to be kind of differences within that. But in terms of talking about a general group, the working class are less concerned about health issues, and they're more concerned about eating flesh as a status um, issue. In fact, what they find is that the working class will often pay for high quality meat products even if their budgets are stretched and it gets them into debt and this kind of thing, on the grounds that they do tend to see it as, as a kind of um, status uh, issue. And that also taps into a gender issue as well because you will often find within a, a family, and particularly a working-class family, that the females within a family are the vegetarians. But they're not actually kind of voluntary vegetarians they're vegetarian on the ground that they're working class, they don't have as much money, but they still have this commitment to eating meat because meat is the, the, the central part of, of, their, uh, of their diet. It's a central part of a meal. And everything else is just a kind of side issue. So you've got meat and two veg and this kind of thing. This is a very powerful psychology. I, th- I think we tend to think, well, come on, surely people have moved away from that. I actually think that's still quite a core thing. might be generational, but I, I'm not quite sure if, if it is because the, the, the younger generation, what do they think of when they think of food? They think of junk food, pizzas, McDonald's, um, Burger King, you know, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken. And those are the kind of comments that come up on the, on the forum site. I'm, I'm, off to, I'm off to KFC now. You know, it's still central in terms of what they feel um, is a status simply in terms of food, uh, and the, the gender issue comes in the fact that you know the, the men get the meat first. You know, in, in, certainly in the kind of um, capitalist patriarchal society uh, which most people uh, live in. And um, you know, there's been quite not a lot of sociology, but there's been quite a bit of you know the sociology of food, for example. And uh, right from say the 1980s, 1970s, right to today you still get this kind of general pattern that uh, veganism, vegetarianism associated with the middle class, meat-eating strongly associated with the, with the, with 
the working class, who see it as some kind of, on some level, as a status symbol. So that's another issue that we might be dealing with when we're, talk, when we're talking on a public forum. I think you made a great point, and uh, I think you're spot on, actually. You know, our, our abolitionist colleague down in Guatemala, um, Paula Adama, she talks about what she's seeing right now happening as, as this, uh, you know, meat as a status symbol, animal products, like including dairy as status symbols, are increasing uh, in, in prevalence because people do look to them as being a sign of, you know, social value and, and affluence and that sort of thing. And so despite the abundance of excellent fruits and vegetables and, and I mean, people are just kind of shifting the diet. And, there's, I mean, there's, of course, a lot of marketing and a lot of, um, you know, PR and stuff like that that plays into it as well. But I, mean, I think you're spot on. It's not just something that's generational like that used to happen. I think, I think the generational part is just that right now uh, the younger generations are, and particularly this is, you know, plays out in different parts of the world in different ways, but like in America where I am, and especially in the cities that I've lived in, um, there's an increasing alienation from our food sources. So whereas, uh, you know, a generation or two ago, people may have had direct experience with uh, purchasing, you know, meat that looked like an animal or, you know, even whole animals and then having, you know, like killing them themselves and that sort of thing. Um, there's an increasing alienation from our food and our food sources such that people, you know, think of food sources as being KFC and that sort of thing. So, uh, you know, I, I think that's the generational part. But in terms of the status symbol, I don't think that's generational at all. I think it very much plays into uh, what we think of as, as, you know, valuable. What, what makes me a better uh, social, you know, what gives me better social standing? What food? And if I'm vegetarian, that's probably not giving me the social standing I'm looking for. And lo and behold, you know, vegans come along and they, they take it even a step lower and they want you to be even le uh, less socially desirable. So, you know, I, I do think that you're spot on with that analysis. I agree. I also think that that's another reason why countries like China and, and India who want to be, you know, America has always been like the big sort of hero in the world and, and the most popular and everything, and there's this huge meat, like, focus on steaks and all that stuff. And now these countries are starting to do it. They're getting more money. They want to be more westernized, and that means more animal products. So they almost look down on their own history, their own diet. Um, and I think it is a status thing worldwide. I think yes, it's really right. very, very sad, that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. going back to the sociological point about the working class as well, is that what sociologists have found uh, in terms of their analysis is that the working class recipes uh, that they've looked at have traditionally been classified as they call it conservative and repetitive. Um, you know, and so again, it's the middle class that would would um, look elsewhere. They would they would try you know the so-called foreign food and everything. In fact. I, I covered this in my PhD. That there is some analysis of this by Maureen Duffy, um, but I tended to think it, I tended to think of it as being a bit dated, in the sense that she was saying that so she was she was brought up in the 60s, in a time when you know it was meat and two veg, and if you didn't have, have kind of meat on your plate, then you didn't have any kind of goodness on your plate because that that's where the, the goodness was, and every, everything else was a, was a bit part to, to, to the meat, and. Um, I've always got the impression, in actual fact, that when people first consider even vegetarianism, let alone veganism, they tend to, in their mind, at least bishop people have done this, they tend to, in their mind, think, right, meat and two veg, and then they kind of mentally 
you know, sub- subtract the meat from the kind of imaginary plate. And then they think, okay, now we've got two veg. What grows in its place, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that also taps into the fact that people say, oh, you put a chunk of cheese there, or you put a chunk of pizza Goblet. there. And I think, yeah, that's right. And so, you know, moussaka or something. So, you no, know, you, you, would, you would then th- throw in a dairy thing there to replace the meat. And so it's kind of like, instead of meat and two veg, it now becomes dairy and two veg, which might say a lot, really, about the prevalence of vegetarianism and the, the fact that people tend to automatically assume that it, even if people have got um, sympathies for the vegan cause and that ultimately they'll get there, they've, they've almost like inevitably got to go through a vegetarian um, phase, which obviously is something that the evolutionary approach is also kind of critical of and trying, trying to change uh, as a kind of psychological matter. But I think all that feeds into it as well. But in terms of that kind of sociological analysis, if you like, I tend to think, well, that's pretty dated. You know, I mean, Duffy talks about, well, you know, in my day, people people didn't go for what she called messed up foreign food, you know, where you would get lots and lots, and lots, of, lots, and lots of vegetables and you, you would mix them together and everything in, in a kind of pretty standard kind of vegan dish now that we, we would think of where, where you where you would have you know either lots of kind of separate dishes that which you would then mix yourself in a kind of you know indian restaurant kind of sense if you like um or just in the sense that you've got lots and lots of different things you know lots of different ingredients Pe- people's mindset might still be in terms of like three things you know meat and two veg meat and two veg so what else do you have and uh, you know if you've got that kind of conservatism which even if on a latent you know, in a kind of latent sense, it's still there, it's still prevalent. Even in this day and age where people are used to, you know, foreign restaurants and all the rest of the stuff, it still could be that, you know, in a kind of deep kind of cultural sense, people are still in this kind of very conservative place when it comes to food. And that also could explain what's going on in these forums. I agree, and that's why I don't want to focus on food. You know, I want them to apply um, their belief to their to they're not going to be open you can't just talk about food with these people you got to talk about animal use and I, I'm still not I'm still not sort of I think a lot of people misunderstand what I'm saying I'm not saying you can't talk about food and I'm not saying don't use food I mean I want to have food at my stall I want to be able to give people food so they can see how delicious it is so they can see how wrong they are I always tell people about the eating restaurant I'm not saying ignore food but I'm just saying like they're so it just it just the entire conversation gets away from the animals and gets away from um, the slaughter even and just goes back to their plates and their palate and their you know things and I I don't want to go down that road with them because I really think it really does go nowhere I don't think it it's not it's not the road that we need to be on we need to get them thinking about have their minds will be more open to the fact that there won't be that chunk of flesh on their plate but we'll I don't know I I can't articulate it sorry. Sorry. You you articulated it uh, very well. Now, Elizabeth, I want to ask you a very important question now. During that last bit of talking that you did, yeah. I I distinctly heard a bell. Was, um, was that was that a bell that I, yeah. I heard? Oh, and she's on the computer. Um, yes. All oh, of right. the noise, <laughs> all of the noise that you hear heard is the cat, and there's nothing I can do about it. It's shabby. I've been really trying frantically to. Well, this is very important to me, Elizabeth, because now now. <laughs> <laughs> 
cells. Oh, wait but, a minute. But you don't now. Now, of course, from, from my from my perspective, right? We, we've now inco incorporated the bells, right? Now, all we need to do now to make this podcast complete, <laughs> you know, you know what's coming, don't you? You know what's coming. <laughs> we've, we've, we've got to move away from these from these sad, stale bells and whistleless. You know, Francian, you know, basic podcasts. You know, we've got to jazz them up. You know, bring a bit of music in there, but mainly it's bells and whistles. We just cannot tolerate this, this sad, boring old. Yeah, that's it, three. Come on, Jeppy, bring We're a bell there. over. <laughs> okay, we we can, we can probably go now. I think we're done. We fulfilled our purpose. We have. I want to just say something for anybody listening and for you guys as well. I find it really effective when people, this is just a very brief thing that I hope people find helpful. It's helped me. When people talk about their carnivorous teeth, um, I just ask them to look at a gorilla, a gorilla's mouth. Gorillas are herbivores, you know, so, and they, that makes them stop. That sort of can just, that can kind of diffuse that nonsense a little bit. Sometimes it works. Have you guys seen a gorilla's? <laughs> yeah, and in fact, I had somebody tell me that, um, and this is from a religious standpoint, which we also have to deal with um, mm -hmm. at a disturbing frequency, is that, you know, well, if humans weren't meant to have dominion over animals, uh, God wouldn't have given us, you know, opposable thumbs and canine teeth. And I said, well, does that mean that chimps then are supposed to have dominion over everyone else? I don't think so. Yes, and also on on that kind of line, you've got you've got the, the the thing which I think Sarah Palin has kind of taken up, which is well, you know, if, if we're not meant to eat them, why are they made made of meat? Which is you know, the the kind of crassiest kind of statement you can you can ever, ever imagine, in in the sense that so are we. Yeah, exactly. we are made of meat. That's what yeah, I've said to people before. No, what a pathetic what a pathetic thing to say, you know. Uh, going, going back to the forums, you know, I do find that you know people are prepared to say virtually anything. Uh, yeah, they are, but don't forget, they don't say meat when it comes to human. They say flesh. You never hear about right. human meat. You hear human flesh. <laughs> so they don't even associate the fact that we're. I have had. I could, if I had a dollar for every time somebody has come up to us on the street and like, you know, I've only, I haven't even really been doing it very long. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, that they've said that we're not animals. I mean, people say that. We're not animals. Well, what are we then? Yeah. Well, we're humans. Yeah. yeah, but what are we? Are you a vegetable, a mineral, or an animal? Well, we're not <laughs> animals. You know, uh, I mean it. So they don't associate yeah. meat with, with humans. They well, my, my sister got into trouble with that. My, my sister is a uh, chemistry teacher, or, or was. She's now working in, um, in parts of Africa. But um, she was a chemistry teacher, and she used to teach the animal mineral vegetable thing. And for the animal example, she used to show a picture of, of humans. And the class, every year, used to object to it. We're, we're not animals, miss. We're not animals, miss. And she says, sorry, that we, we are, uh, you, you know. So um, terrible disconnect going on. Well, it's like what you say. The, 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 you don't want to be on the wrong side of the species barrier. I think that's a really, and you know, that that concept that you discussed quite a few times, and you did a podcast on it, and I mm. think it was part of your PhD as well. You know, you don't you don't want to be an animal because then anything bad can happen to you, because terrible, terrible things happen to animals. Yeah, it's almost like a crime in itself. If you're on the wrong side of the species, but you're in real big trouble. You're in trouble. And even even if even if we uh, 
even if we conceptually cast uh, human beings onto the other side of the species barrier, then they are also then in, in trouble. That's what goes on in war and any yeah. kind of oppression. Yeah. You know, if you start calling people pigs or you calling people um, vermin or insects or whatever, or crows, black crows, you know, and anything like that. There's a whole history of dehumanization in that sense. And as soon as you start doing that, you can you can then start to oppress people, um, uh, other human beings. And um, I always find it quite fascinating in the fact that um, you can look at another human being and you can see them to be what they are, and yet you can override that with, with a ideological conception, saying, you know, vermin or whatever, in the same way as the Nazis did. I always find that incredible because that does link in with what we've been talking about, is the fact that people can tell themselves stories and those stories are very kind of meaningful. And to actually get to the bottom of that and get, get behind that and get underneath all that, you know, takes a lot of effort for some people, you know, because their stories, even though there's no real foundation to them, they are also foundational. You know, you, 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 find, you find that doing your stall when the, when the racist person comes up and go. Oh, you know, blah, 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 blah. And you say, well, you know, what's the basis of your argument? And you find that there isn't one underneath, uh, underneath it. And unfortunately, you find that as a social matter as, as being very, um, very general in terms of their, people's political beliefs, their social beliefs, uh, anything you like. If you then start to scratch on the surface, there's not much there at all. And that is quite scary in a sense. Well, like a lot of people have said, and I believe this is true, you are, you just are repeating what your parents told, told you. You really don't, none of us really have any original, well, you know, when you start to have an original idea, that means you, you have to unlearn, education begins with unlearning everything that you've been taught. And they, they've asked, they say, look at yourself, like I've found myself vehemently defending something just because I grew up with my dad vehemently defending it. When I thought about it later as an adult, I was like, I don't agree with him. But I just mm. was indoctrinated with his vehement opposition to it because I grew up hearing that and that meant that that's what it was because daddy said so or mother or whatever. And when I started to finally break away from that and think for myself, I realized I had no foundation to any of my thoughts. None of them came from me. <laughs> they came from my school. They came from my friends. They came from my parents. So I think a lot of people don't even realize that. They're just repeating things that were pumped into them. And they really have never had to think about it. They're just doing what they were taught. That's like what religion is. Yeah, well, now we're, now we're into areas which are, are known as comfort zones because that is a very comfortable place to be, you know, because you get your values from your parents, you get your values from your society, you get your values from your peer group. And sometimes they do kind of clash, but, you know, fundamentally they might be the same uh, in the sense that e even... You know, subcultures they have some fundamental, you know, you know, agreement with with some with the major um, culture that's going on, and unless it's a total counterculture, which are which are rare, you, know, you might get a counterculture which is um, completely opposed to, to things, and that's much more based on on critical thinking. But there isn't a lot of that going going on, and you know, I I can say as an educator, you know, there's no real commitment to to um, bringing about critical thinking the main the main the main function of the education system is to fit people into their jobs to fit people into into the workplace to fit people into the economy and so from that from that point of view it's very uncritical 
and so we are um, uh, not fitting in, and they, that's why they don't like it. So that's why they're posting pictures of their dinners, because we don't fit in. Yes, it could be that, in the sense that there's... Oh, I mean, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not saying there's a kind of jealousy uh, issue, but there's certainly a kind of, well, you know, so, somebody has stepped out from the norms, you know, the, the, you know, the normal norms of values of, of things. And that put, that puts them in a different kind of place. And even if they might be thinking, well, you know, there might be some merit in that, it's also something that they've not done themselves. And so yeah. they can then, then, you see what I mean? They've not done that. And then they think, oh, well, in that case, you know, that's not, that's not for me. Uh, you know, I think, um, I think some, some people find, find thinking critically about their lives and their values and this kind of stuff. I think they find that very, very difficult, um, you know, and sociologically it does amount to sw swimming against the tide. And um, the, the legitimate question there is why should people do that? You know, in other words, why should you make your life difficult by being vegan or by being a protester or by being critical of things? Why not just go with the flow? You know, you, you get your Sky TV and, you, you know, you buy your right-wing newspaper and, you know, you, and you watch your soap operas. That's the easy thing to do. You know, thinking critically is, is you're, you're putting yourself in, in, you know, almost you're putting yourself in the way of harm or, or pain because you're having to yeah. think for yourself. It's yeah, much, it was easy to much be a Nazi easier to Nazi go with the flow. Germany, wasn't it? it was way easier to be a Nazi than it was to be, you know, wasn't it? That's the kind of, of, course, yeah, kind of, of course. thing, you know. So it's like, do you want to be a Nazi? Yeah. <laughs> You know? But, you know, I think there's been so many times where each of us in our lives have had something happen that we didn't anticipate, that wasn't desired, you know, whether it's like a, a breakup or, you know, fired from a job or something, that, you know, we have these experiences that are very difficult to go through. They're not comfortable. They, uh, they you know, challenge us in ways that we don't want to be challenged and, you know, it can feel like your world is crumbling apart. And... We learn so much from that. You know, we, we come out the other side having so much more wisdom, having so much greater understanding of who we are and what we're capable of. Um, I, I think that, you know, taking a look at some of the past difficulties that we have successfully overcome is a great way to take, you know, a forward-looking perspective that, you know what, sometimes it's important to challenge ourselves and sometimes it's important to dive into the deep end of, uh, you know, something that we're not comfortable with because we very well may come out the other side uh, stronger, wiser, uh, better able to help others, better able to fulfill our own goals in life. So, you know, I, I, I mean, when we have these experiences, and I think that we should encourage others to, you know, talk about their own experiences, um, there's, a, there's a reason to do it, you know? So I, I think, yeah, it is frightening for a lot of people, and it's you know, easy and appealing to stay in the comfort zone. But um, I think everyone has experiences where they've gone outside their comfort zone and found worth in it. Well, that's a good angle to take when you're talking to people who are resistant. Is that, I mean, that's what I'm getting from that. Um, and not so much to say me. Like, I don't, I think people resent it when I say to people, like, I don't go around usually, like, I don't usually go around to people saying, I'm so much more healthier and my acne cleared up and um, I feel so much more peaceful and I feel so much more happier. It's all true. 
actually going <laughs> vegan. But I don't go around saying that. I don't think that they, I, I want them, so I think that that's a good angle that you said. Um, I could ask them, remember an experience where you went out of your comfort zone and how, how it helped you grow as a person. Um, because Roger's right, and these people, that's what these people, we can't force them to do anything. You know, when I'm in the street, I cannot tackle somebody to the ground who's wearing leather <laughs> shoes and say, arrest police, he's got, you know, leather shoes on, you know, I can't. So <laughs> You should you should try it. As well. <laughs> I should, and then I should film it and call for other people to do it because that's what's going to change things. Then we can have a great campaign to get you out of jail. Yeah, exactly, and raise a lot of money. And raise a lot of yeah. money off you, yeah. Yeah, it'll, it'll make people think about the issue, though. Yeah, you've you've got you've got to stop thinking that you're in a conversation with these people, Elizabeth. (laughs) What's wrong with me, (laughs) (laughs) Roger? Have we covered covered all the points that you wanted to cover? I I think we do. Obviously, that you know, I'm I'm sure that if we you know think think about it uh, afresh in the morning um, or later in the evening. Um, we would think of other points, but I think, yeah, generally we, we've looked at that. I mean, it's, it's a, an interesting kind of phenomenon, isn't it? This this notion of, yeah. um, you know, because you can you can dismiss it as knee-jerk reaction. You can dismiss it as, oh, well, it's not really dismissal, but you you can explain it as defence. You know, you can explain it as denial. But I think there's possibly quite a lot going on uh, in in terms of why why people will do that. And even you know that that question that I raised before, but why they're even there in the first place? You know, if they're so sure of themselves, which they say they are, then why are they there? Um, you know, what are they so frightened of? You know, if if meeting meeting is the norm and it, it's not a problem, there's no ethical issue here. Then why are they there in the first place? That's a, quite a fascinating issue. So I think we we've, we've covered some. Some things. I um, you know, maybe we've raised a couple of questions that need to be addressed, but I think we've covered most of it. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that you've made a really good point, and they are so incredibly go out of their way to defend it. If they really didn't care, like you say, they wouldn't even bother. They'd be like, not only that, but they they they're there time and time again. You know, mm-hmm. you know they you know they they've been there for as long as I, I've been there. Some of the people. Making really? making the same points, you know. Yeah, you know, kind of, you know, why are you keep preaching preaching at, at us, you know? And you know, we we've had this conversation before and this kind of stuff. And and, and I just say, well, look, you know, this is the animal rights thread, and so I'm I'm talking about animal rights, and I'm giving you information which is relevant to animal rights, and veganism being the new moral baseline of animal rights is bound to be part and parcel of that. And yet they're still there complaining. <laughs> Thing about what I do on the unrights thread, um, <laughs> and so, so I should be asking them, you know, why why the hell are you he- here? You know, oh, if, yeah, if you're so definitely. sure of yourself, you know, what why why keep coming back? There's something there that's niggling at them, isn't there? You know, the, the comfortable flesh eaters, the, the comfortable ones, are not there. They're too busy down at McDonald's rather than talking about going down to there. So, so there's something niggling at these people somewhere. So there's an interesting issue there. I can't quite put my, put my you know, finger on it in a sense, but there must be an issue there with those particular individuals that, that go, you know, that, that go time and time again to complain about talking about veganism on on animal rights, or they complain about talking about animal rights on an animal rights thread, and they go time and time again to make that same complaint. There's got to be something going on there with those people. 
Yeah, I think. Oh, sorry, Chevy. Um, Chevy just. She's she's starting to get. I have to get off the computer now. <laughs> it's all over. She's done. I can't entertain her anymore. She wants. She needs some more attention, and she's jumping on the keyboard. And this is. It is podcast ended by cat. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, um, yeah, I mean, we can definitely do this again and um, see, try and see maybe, I don't know, have you tried much about just not indulging the talk about, um, like, don't don't answer even the concerns about the canine teeth or whatever, just constantly bringing it back to, like, you know, do you think it's okay to use the sentient being as means to an end then? Do you think that slavery is okay? Or I think you have tried that, haven't oh, you? Oh, yeah, I've, tr- I've, tr- I've tried all those things. I'll yeah. I t- I tell you what, I, I, I tell you what I, I have done is I've been, I've been quite reflexive about whether the problem is me because they keep mm-hmm. telling, telling me that, that the problem is the way that I put things over. They say that I'm preachy. They say that I'm uh, condescending. They they say that I'm I'm acting all superior, and I say, well, as as far as I can see, what I'm doing, I'm just presenting information, yeah. which is you know within the the area of animal rights and veganism and stuff. I, I've read some of your posts, and I, I think if you had just a smiley face as your post, they would think you were being condescending. I mean, yeah. your your posts are not at all <laughs> condescending or over the top or preachy. It's very common. I mean, but again, there is a divide then between, again, the ones that are completely comfortable about it and don't see any problem whatsoever, and then the other ones who say that there's not a problem whatsoever, and yet they seem to need to defend themselves time and time and time again. So I think there's a difference between those type of people who say there's not a problem and then the real people who really do think there's not a problem and then therefore they don't they don't even bother talking to you. So there's, yeah. there's something quite fascinating going on there. Yeah, so keep it up, Roger. You're doing a great job. <laughs> You're a better just, man than I am. <laughs> there's one final point that I wanted to make, which is that, um, you know, there are so many different personalities involved in people who are on forums. And so there are a lot of people who will do the things that we've been talking about. And then there are a lot of people who would never do those things, would never say those things, even on a forum. And, you know, there's definitely like a personality and a mentality of like the South Park kind of thing where people say screw you to each other and, you know, it demonstrates social dominance and they're, you know, they they look cooler because they're being harsh to others. Uh, but there are a lot of people who would never do those sorts of things and, and who would see it for what it is and, um, and so this kind of goes back to one of uh, Roger's blog posts from a long time ago that, you know, the value of the things that you post on the forum, they stay there, you know, and other people who aren't responding will see them. And people who aren't going to be complete jerks about it might actually think about these things and have some epiphanies related to their relationship with non-human animals. So, um, you know, good on you, Roger. That I mean, keep it up. And everyone else out there who does Oh yeah, actually, actually, I I do I do have some I do I do have some empirical evidence in support of that in the sense that I do sometimes get the odd um, private post saying, oh, you know, I I think people are treating you very badly, or you know, I kind of agree with you, <laughs> and then we get the thing about, well, I I kind of agree with you, but don't tell anyone. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's about, I was about to say that. <laughs> it's a little bit about the the, the, blaze, it's about the blazing saddle syndrome. I don't know if you ever seen the film Blazing Saddle. Yes. You know, you know, <laughs> you know where, where, where the, the woman gives gives the black uh, the, 
the, the black sheriff, you know, a, a cake and say, you know, no, please don't tell anybody I've done this, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I called you the N-word, you know, this kind of thing. And, you know, I, I get versions of that, you know. Well, I kind of understand, you know, and thank you for raising this point and everything, but, you know, I'm not going to do this publicly. So <laughs> there's something going on. So I suppose there's I some that. educational work, my, um... you know, going on. I got that on the, the when I was trying my best to talk to these um, people uh, in New Zealand about uh, welfare and abolition. Um, nobody um, nobody was backing me up, and then I got a, pri- a couple of private people saying, "Yeah, I do agree with you." Um, you know, and, and they wouldn't do it publicly, and they wouldn't stick up for me. It was yeah, it was exactly the same thing. <laughs> I, was like, I, I had the same experience on 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 Facebook. I. Um, I was look, looking at a few things, and so, somebody was defending the the Peter nude campaigns. So I I made made the point about you know the, the I was basically kind of trying to move the analysis from the micro to the macro, and um, I I tend to find the postmodern feminists, the ones that that Gary Francione clashed with, and they couldn't really get get a a grip of what he was saying. He was effectively making a macro point. A wider contextual point, whereas they were talking about their own individual liberties and um, freedoms and this this kind of stuff, and so they felt as a person, as an individual, empowered by taking their clothes off for the animals. And then you say, well, yeah, but that that is true, but you're doing that within the ideology of patriarchy, within the society which is patriarchal, and so that means that there are other women who are less powerful than you who might you know bear the brunt, the consequences. You know of, of your of your freedom in the fact that you're you're bolstering the notion of, of patriarchy. You're bolstering the notion that women could uh, be commodi- commodified. You're bolstering the notion that that women are sex objects, and so that means that that might be fine from your point of view because you've chosen to do it. But in terms of the women that are trafficked, for example, into sex slavery, that kind of thing, you know, who don't um, cho- choose to do that and who are not as socially powerful or powerful in any kind of sense are disempowered. You know, you're potentially making their position worse. So I was making that point, and somebody came back and said, "Well, you know, um, well, you know, you 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 could get into into trouble by just crossing the road, you know." But I I cross the road and I take that risk, and I said, "Well, you know, you you're bringing it back to yourself again. You know, it's a very individualistic perspective that you seem to have." And then suddenly I get a uh, you know a um, a private mail on Facebook saying, "Oh." I suddenly see what you, you mean now. I agree with you, and but but she wasn't prepared to say that on the public forum. So it's the same kind of thing. Uh, you know, some people say, "Oh, I see what you mean now," but they don't really kind of want to make a public statement that they were wrong. Um, again, you know, we, we're we're back into the kind of human psyche there, and uh, um, because I, I personally don't have a problem in saying oh, I, w- I was wrong about certain things. I was certainly wrong about some of the activism that I was engaged in in the 1980s. And, I, and I, I've said that time and time again, and I don't have a problem with that. Uh, I think some people do have a problem by saying, well, actually, I was wrong, you know, and I admit, I admit it. You know, I, I, don't think, I don't think it's the kind of thing that a lot of people want to say. No, it's, it's a not an easy thing to say, but it gets easier the more you do it. <laughs> well, you, you, the you people who are the most time. wrong are the best. <laughs> no, I do it all the time. I make mistakes all the time, and I admit it. And the first time was hard, but after you've done it once, you're like, "Yeah, whoops, I did it again. Let me just go out there and admit it." 
You're so blase about your wrongness, aren't you, Elizabeth? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, does anybody have any final points before I sign us off? I'm done. I'm done, We can go for days, but I think we've a great great thing. Um, I want to thank you both for coming on. It's such a pleasure to have you on finally, Tim, um, and I hope that you definitely come on again. And when you do your podcast, you know, Keep us Absolutely. in mind, potential guests. Thank you. My pleasure to be on. Thank you again. But were, 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 weren't you saying before, Elizabeth, that um, there's still a lot of um, referring to non-humans as it? Um, yeah. You might, you, might be able, you might be able to get around it by starting to talk about the other people that are it. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like where, 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 is, where is the vet gone? Oh, it's gone for a coffee break. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That's a good one. I might try doing that. Where's so and so? It's it's having a it's it's cleaning its face. It's brushing its teeth. Yes. It's feeding itself. It's gone. It's gone for lunch. <laughs> I might try doing that, man. I might try doing that. No, it's true though. It is true. This it. You know, and that is a it is a problem with the English language. But when a baby is identified, what sex the baby is, nobody, you know, you don't say, is that a boy or a girl? You go up to a person who's had a baby and you say, oh, is it a boy or a girl? And they say he's a boy, and then you don't say it's so cute, you know, you say, oh, he's so cute. But with Jebby, I'll never forget it. She was remember how tiny she was. Yeah. And this woman comes up and was like, oh my gosh. What a cute little, you know, kid. And I said, yeah, she's, I think she's four, you know, three weeks old. Oh, it's so adorable. What's its name? And I said, her name is Jebby. <laughs> oh, how old is it? She is three weeks, I swear. And I was enunciating it. She is three weeks old. Oh, it's so cute. Where'd you find it? And I'm just like, oh, man. So. You I, just, I uh, are, you, are, you, are you married? Um, you know, your husband, what, what's its name? <laughs> oh man, I might try do I might start doing that to people, you know. That's a good one. Funny it would be an interesting it would be a social, social an interesting experiment. social experiment, wouldn't it? Yeah. I might do that in the street. When I get a proper video camera we can start filming or, stuff. Or, or some armor plate or some armor plating maybe. Yeah, I'll probably need some of that. People say up well my mother, you know, she's da 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 and I say Oh, your mother, how is it? How's it doing? <laughs> is it in hospital? <laughs> uh, I never forget my mother said something to me when I was young. She said, when I used to say she, like she didn't like being called she. She said she is the cat's mother. That was her literal quote. That was she. It's, the other, it's like you say, the dehumanization, the wrong side of the species barrier. Mm-hmm. If she is the cat's mother, then it's a bad thing. Um, <laughs> It's everywhere. You know, you know, female cats are called queens, aren't they? Because yeah, um, you know, I, I used to I used to be a projectionist, and so um, we we went to all this trouble of um, opening a cinema. This was 1975. We opened a cinema, and I, I never forget it because 24 hours before it opened, it looked like a building site, and then suddenly it was like a jigsaw. Everything came together, and so we had this incredibly kind of posh new place in a place called Kirby in Liverpool. And it, it had um, incredibly plush carpets and everything. I think the carpets were about 16 um, pounds per square foot, which was very, very expensive in those days. And um, the first person came up to the 
you know, the person selling the tickets, and who was from Liverpool, and she said, "What do you want, Queen?" <laughs> and it really brought <laughs> it brought down the entire thing. You know, the the, the owners and, and the management were, were trying to kind of really kind of bolt the fact that this is this is a real kind of sophisticated new new kind of uh, experience. You know, and the first thing that, that anybody said publicly was, "What do you want, Queen?" In terms <laughs> of the, you know, what ticket? What ticket do you want? You know, it's incredible. That's awesome because it shows that they are probably paying them low wages, so they want to be all saluting high, but they don't want to pay their, you know, their staff. Um, they don't absolutely a class based point. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you start recording, <laughs> Atem. Uh, no, I'm still recording. I can start uh, now, though. Okay, no, so thanks for coming on, and um, goodbye, everybody. Toodaloo. <laughs> bye, Liz. Bye, Raj. <laughs> Toodaloo. <laughs> 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 goodbye, what? <laughs> 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 <laughs>